right? So let's pray for our offering and the word, and then we're going to get into the words. Let's bow our heads and hearts. Uh, Gracious Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you uh, that you are alive and not dead. Uh, We don't worship a dead God, but the true and living God. Uh, Your name is Jesus, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the Almighty. Uh, We thank you, Lord, for this opportunity that we get to give back to you what you have first given to us. And we do lift up uh, Solchi, the Gutierrez family, um, as they're in the hospital. We lift up Jordan, uh, Lord, that you would minister to his soul, that he would feel your never-ending love for him, Lord God. Um, And we do pray that, Lord, we use these offerings uh, to continue to spread the most precious message, the gospel, to minister to those who are in need, and of course, to advance, to build your holy, precious kingdom here on earth until you come back. And we can't wait for that day. Lord, we love you. We commit this time to your trust. We pray for the word that is about to go forth. I pray, Lord, it be none of me, it be all of you, Lord, and that those who would have ears would hear. And they wouldn't just be hearers of your holy word, but they would be doers of your holy word. And so, Lord, bless this time richly. We invite Holy Spirit to teach us. In Jesus' holy name we pray. Say it said. Amen. Amen. All right. Open up your Bibles to the book of Habakkuk. Habakkuk. Some of you are like, ah, Habakkuk? <laughs> what is that? Yeah, it's a book in the Bible. <laughs> it's one of the minor prophets. Minor because of size, not because of significance. All right? It's a little guy. That's why. But that comes from the, the bigger prophets are like Isaiah, Jeremiah, um, some say Daniel would be, but there's, there's minor prophets that are in the Bible. So Habakkuk will be in the book of Habakkuk chapter one and the first verse in chapter two. If some of you guys got to look in your table of contents, that's fine. God is good. And if you read through your Bible in a year, you'll know where it is, right? <laughs> it's good stuff. Good stuff. All right. I'm, I'm guessing everybody's there. All right. So Habakkuk, he's one of the 12 minor prophets, um, and there's really little known, little known about Habakkuk. We don't really know much about him other than what's given to us either by uh, rabbinic tradition or by the actual book itself. His name means embraced by God, and some believe that because in this time of uncertainty, uh, when he was confused and, and perplexed, he embraced God's character, and he embraced the message that was going to go forth. Um, Rabbic tradition tells us that Habakkuk was of the tribe of Levi, and many believe that because the third chapter is basically like a psalm. It even has Selah in it, like a pause. And so many believe if he was writing a psalm, he might have been from the tribe of Levi, and he was one of the worshipers that are in that. But we don't know. We don't know if that's uh, actually true. So Habakkuk, uh, he actually prophesied in the late 7th century. Some believe he was alive during the reforms of King Josiah. If you guys remember King Josiah, I want to say he's Hezekiah's grandson, came in, knocked the idols down, knocked all the high places, and he found the book of the law, the word of God. And there was great, rich national revival under that. But shortly after um, Josiah died, he was killed in a battle uh, with the Egyptians. They, They killed him. They went right back to rebellion, set up the high places and high altars, and went back into learning the ways of the heathen. So it wasn't long after those reforms that they went right back to their old ways. Um, if you guys remember uh, the 10 northern tribes, they were taken already taken at this time by Assyria. So Assyria swept them up, wiped them out. And then actually they went after Judah, but there was a guy by the name of Hezekiah who said, yeah, we're not doing that. And he laid out the complaint of King Sennacherib in the temple. 
and said, Lord, look what he's saying. And then the next day, one angel slayed 185,000 Syrians. And so they never got to Judah. <laughs> it wasn't happening. Amen. So that was kind of the, uh, the history of that time that was going on. And so many believe that this was a little bit after Josiah, but before Judah was taken into Babylon. If you guys remember, they're taken to Babylon for 70 years for their idolatry and their rebellion against God. So Habakkuk's prophecy was after that and before the Babylonians. And what's unique about this, this book, this minor prophet, is it doesn't directly challenge a people or a nation. It is actually a dialogue between the prophet and God. And so it's almost like we get, we get to vicariously hear a conversation that Habakkuk has with God. So it's like we have to sit back and listen. Oh, he said that to God? Oh, snap. Is God going to smite him? I can't believe he said that. But it's good for us to see because it's during a time where the prophet is unsure and is actually questioning God and he has doubts about God. And so we actually get to see um, vicariously of what that dialogue looked like. He's perplexed. He's confused because what happens is he sees all the evil that Judah is doing. And you know, you guys were going through Chronicles and, and king after king, they keep uh, uh, doing evil in the sight of the Lord over and over and over. So Habakkuk sees that and he's like, so like, God, are you going to do something about that? Like, you're going to continuously allow the evil to rule in the land? You're not going to do anything about that? So he is completely perplexed and he brings it directly to God because of this ongoing evil. And so some could say like, that's kind of what we're seeing now, right? We're seeing the shootings. We're seeing all the evil policies that completely legislate evil in the sight of the word of God. And one can ask, we can all ask like, Lord, like, honestly, where are you? Why haven't you judged this yet? How does evil look like it's prevailing? I mean, we are definitely in the last days where the prophet Isaiah said they're going to call evil good and good evil. We're seeing that left and right. And so Habakkuk actually asked the question, how long, O Lord, why, O Lord, and what are you going to do about it, O Lord? He's asking, why don't you act on this evil why don't you do something about it? How does this continue? If you're righteous and you're holy and you're good, how does this continue? And so we get to see that dialogue uh, in the book of Habakkuk. So I think it's pretty cool. And so it's not wrong to question God. It's not wrong to bring our questions directly to the Lord. However, he's not actually obligated to answer us, right? He doesn't have to answer us. And so if you get an answer, praise God. If you don't, trust God. Right? Amen? So the prophet Isaiah, when he's speaking the first person for God in uh, chapter 55, 8, and 9, this is going to be key to understanding uh, this chapter, is he says that, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways, says the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. So that means that whenever we have moments of doubt, despair, worries, concern, and questions, that's okay, but we have to understand sometimes you're just not going to understand what God is doing. You're, you're, you're not going to understand it, one, because it's like trying to fit the ocean to the cracks of a seashell. It's impossible. The, the, the complexity of understanding the fullness of God Almighty, our little brains can't handle that, right? That's why you don't explain deep things to three-year-olds, Okay? You don't sit there and tell a three-year-old, the reason why you don't go into the street is because a truck's going to hit you and your brain's going to splatter all over the place. And you don't, you don't do that. The three-year-old, oh, what, what, brains, what? They're, they can't understand that. That is too complex. Your three-year-old has to what? He just has to trust you. 
Like, okay, you say you don't play, you're my dad, you're my, my parent, you love me, so I guess I shouldn't play in the street, right? So there's going to be moments in our lives where we're going to come across situations and devastations in our lives where we want to know why, and God's just not going to tell you. And you're going to have to get through that, right? And so we're going to see um, in today's text on how we can do that. So the book actually breaks down in three major parts between chapter one, two, and three. Chapter one, the prophet is perplexed and confused and is in what we call the questioning stage. We see that with Job, see that with Abraham, Moses, mighty men and women of God have questioned God. So it's not wrong. Now you need to do it in humility, but it's not wrong. Chapter two, he transitions from questioning stage to the trusting stage. From the questioning stage to the trusting or waiting stage. The chapter begins with Habakkuk attentively waiting to hear from God. That's chapter two, verse one. And then chapter three actually transitions into a praising and rejoicing stage. And so he, he, he went through a lot of transformation with his dialogue with the Lord. And I pray that we also would experience that. Interesting enough, there's a key verse from this book used in the New Testament three times that many of you have heard, but you didn't even know it actually was derived from the book of Habakkuk. And that verse is this, Habakkuk 2, 4 says this, Behold the proud, his soul is not upright in him, but the just shall live by faith. Three times in the New Testament, this verse is used talking about salvation. Talking about you will live by faith, trust in Christ. Paul uses it in Galatians 3, Romans 1, and some believe Paul wrote Hebrews, but it's also used in Hebrews 10. And it's talking about how placing your faith in Christ, you live that way. But the original text actually comes from trusting in God in uncertain times. That I'm going to walk and live by faith moment by moment. He says, you may not understand what I'm doing, but you need to live by faith and just trust me, right? So that verse is a very, very key verse in the whole Bible. So that's a picture of the life of the believer was that one is live by faith moment by moment, not just for a moment, right? I can't just have a moment of faith. I need to have a life of faith. And that's what we're called to have. All right, so I'll go over the outline really quick. So I tell the message when I don't understand what God is doing. Can anyone relate to that? Amen. All hands should go up. If your hand don't go up, you're sleeping. You wake up. If your hand don't go up, wake up. All right, there we go. So first point is that when you don't understand what God is doing, humbly bring all your questions, doubts, worries, and concerns to the Lord. He can handle it. And for me, it's a great encouragement. How many of you guys know who John the Baptist is? Okay, good. Amen. You should. You should. If you don't, you should, you know, read your Bible. John the Baptist, by no doubt, believed that Jesus was the Messiah. In fact, he pointed to him and said, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He went through an uncertain time in prison, heard about everything Jesus was doing, and then he sent two of his own disciples because he was in a moment of doubt and uncertainty. And he sent two of his own disciples to Jesus and said, are you the coming one or shall we look for another? What happened? He went from Lamb of God to, I don't even know if you're the Messiah, right? All because of a moment of uncertainty. And we see how Jesus deals with him and we see how God deals with it. And he simply says, just go tell John the things you see and the things you heard. And oh, how happy, oh, how blessed is the one who's not offended at me, right? 
God can handle our questions, our doubts, and our concerns. Point number two, when you don't understand what God is doing, know that God is always working things together for good. What we can trust when I don't see, when I don't know, that God is good and that he's always going to work things I don't understand, good, bad, and different, whatever it is, he's always going to work it together for our good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. So even if I don't understand in the moment, even if it's a tragedy, God turns beauty from ashes and he's made his name off of that. Thirdly, when you don't understand what God is doing, fill in your doubts with the unchanging character of God and his promises. If I ask you guys right now, hey, give me five promises of God, who could do it? Offhand, right? Don't get nervous. I'm not gonna put you on the spot. I wanna encourage you guys to memorize at least 20 of them. At least 20 of the promises. That's a lot, yeah. But you guys know song lyrics, right? You guys know, okay? <laughs> memorize the promises because you're gonna have moments of doubt and you're not gonna be able to take that next step unless it's on the sturdy ground of God's promises, right? So I encourage you guys, memorize, memorize his promises and know his character because he doesn't change. And lastly, when you don't understand what God is doing, faithfully trust and wait on the Lord. Faithfully trust and wait on the Lord. That's what we're called to do. I learned with relationships, trust is earned. I think God earned our trust, right? I think he's earned our trust by now. And if he hasn't, we got, we got some issues, right? So, amen. Let's go to the first verse in your Bibles. First point, humbly bring all your questions, doubts, worries, and concerns to the Lord. Here's the first verse. It says, the burden which the prophet Habakkuk saw. Hold on, let me turn my phone off. I don't know. Jesus ain't going to call me right now. All right, amen. <laughs> the burden which the prophet Habakkuk saw. The burden actually described as an oracle directly from God, meaning burden or load. And so this word is often used for pronouncements of judgment from God to Gentile nations through the message of the prophets. And so Exodus, um, example is Isaiah 13, one for note takers. It says the burden against Babylon, which Isaiah, the son of Amos saw. Now it's a burden because it's one of judgment. So those of you in here are parents or anyone who's ever had to bring bad news to somebody, it's not something you bring delightfully, right? You don't come and say, hey, I just want to tell you, you lost your job, you're fired, right? People don't bring bad news joyfully. It's heavy because it impacts people. It's heavy because it can change people's lives. And so they call it a burden from the Lord because we're called as messengers to deliver a heavy truth or a load. And so the beginning says this burden Habakkuk got from God and it was heavy and it was burdensome. And also the word of God, it's heavy, it's real, it's alive and it's active. <clears throat> Can you imagine having to deliver a message directly from God to a nation? Imagine if you had a message directly from God that you had to deliver to the USA. Whew. What would it say? I guarantee you'd be full of woes, right? Woe are you. How have you gone so far? But imagine you were the one chosen to deliver that. How would you feel? Would that be a light message, right? Would you go in there without prayer, without fasting? Oh, I'm just going to go ahead and deliver the, the, the hammer, right? 150 pound hailstones, here you go. You wouldn't do that. It would be a heavy burden and a heavy load. And you can imagine Amos, 
not Amos, I'm sorry, Habakkuk getting this message, but also an imagery because it says he saw it. So he actually saw the judgment that he was going to deliver from the message. And so it was heavy. See, God is literally making his message of judgment clear to the prophet. I think about Abraham. If you guys remember when, they were about, when he was about to deliver judgment to Sodom, right? And the angel said, hey, should I, should I tell him what I'm about to do? Right? And then he told him, and Abraham, no, 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 no. You're going you're gonna to slay the wicked with the good? Won't the God of all the earth do what is just? Abraham felt the burden of that reality. Are you going to really deliver judgment to these people? And there's good people there? And we know what happened, right? Okay, well, if there's 45, show me 45. Okay, my bad. 35, uh, 20, and all the way down, there's no good people, right? <laughs> there's no one righteous, no, not one, right? There's, that's only the Lord. But this is a heavy burden that Habakkuk has to deliver. But saints, here's the reality. In, in, in some sense, all of us are messengers of God. And all of us have a message, a heavy burden that we have to deliver. And that's the message of the gospel. And some are saying, well, no, that's the good news. No, 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 it's not. It's not good news if you don't tell the bad news first, right? Good news has to be parallel with bad news. Well, why is it good news? Because the bad news is you're doomed. The bad news is you, you're a sinner and the Bible says every mouth will be stopped and everyone become guilty before God. That's the bad news is that without a sacrifice, without a savior, we will be separated from almighty God for all of eternity. Okay, that's the burden. Now the good news is, <laughs> while you were still sinners, Christ died for you, right? And that God loves you with an everlasting love. He loves each of us as if there's only one of us. And if there's only one of you that need to be saved, my theological opinion, I think he's still what he came, right? I think he's still what he came. So all of us in a way, we have a burden message. That's the good news of the cross of Calvary, right? Is that God made him who knew no sin to become sin for you and I so we can become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. That is the message of the cross. All of us have the burden of the Lord and we all need to be faithful to deliver that, both in word and in action, okay? I can't just say the message and not live the message, right? If I'm gonna proclaim the message of the gospel, I pray and hope my life reflects its transformation. Amen? So Habakkuk had to deliver that message. In verse two, here's what he says. He starts to ask the questions. Oh Lord, how long shall I cry? And you will not hear? Even cry out to you violence and you will not save? Why do you show me iniquity? and cause me to see trouble. For plundering and violence are before me. There is strife and contention arises. So it's almost like, again, we're vicariously in this room that they're having a conversation, right? And we're like, yo, he's questioning God kind of hard there, right? How long? You don't hear me? You're looking at violence? You're over, whoa, I wouldn't say that to God, right? Is he gonna smoke him? Is he gonna smite him? I don't wanna be in the way of that, right? But here's what he's saying. He first says, how long? Why? Because Habakkuk has been able to watch all the evil prevail. And he's wondering, how long is God going to allow this? How long? He's saying, I cry out to you, you do not hear. Violence, and you will not save. He's expressing a grieving heart towards evil. 
And the truth is all of us, when we see what's going on in our country today, should have a grieving heart. Every single one of us. And I know some of us are like fleeing for the hills. I talk to people every week. They're like, yeah, we're moving out of California. Right? We look at those policies. We're fleeing for the hills. But truth be told, who's going to stay? Who's going to stay? We need, to, we need light here. We need people who are going to stand firm, 10 toes down, and say, yeah, we're not bowing when the music plays. Right? We're going to stand firm in what God called us to do and be in a wicked nation. And we're going to proclaim the only message that would turn this place around right? And that's the good news. Now, if God calls you to flee, then okay, that's between you and the Lord. But as for me and my house, we're planted, okay? We're not going anywhere. So, so if I got to preach the chairs, right? You guys find the message somewhere online, okay? We're not going nowhere until God says so. But saints, this doesn't mean that God doesn't hear, and it doesn't mean that God is approving of evil, all right? Remember, one of the points is that God is always working. And remember Jesus, when he came on the scene, he says, my father's been working, and I've been working. When you're sleeping, he's working. The Bible says, he who keeps Israel doesn't sleep nor slumber. So it's actually vain for you to stay up at night worrying about your problems and God's dealing with them. Somebody got to go to bed, right? Go to sleep, let God deal with them. But he's watching, the prophet is watching and asking. And so saints, we can actually, and I think we have, I think some of us are, asking the same question. Lord, how long will my marriage suffer abuse? How long will my children be in rebellion? How long will our nation slaughter babies in the womb? How long will we allow ungodliness to prevail and not take a stand against evil? How long will I be alone and not have a spouse? And the list goes on for the how longs. It goes on and on. Questioning God is actually the first step in finding understanding. See, if you don't ask, you won't know. If you don't seek while he may be found, then he won't be found, right? And so questioning is the first stage. And I love this because it shows the prophets are human. They're not superhuman. They're not like, oh, I never doubt. I never have a lapse of faith. I'm so perfect, right? Nobody's like that. And if you see someone acting like that, it's fake. It's not real. We are frail. David says, I'm a worm, right? We are frail. We're like dust. We're here today. We're gone tomorrow. And so questioning is actually a natural response because why? We want to know. But again, God is not obligated to answer you. See, saints, doubt and despair can present us with a crisis of faith. Many fall away or turn from the Lord when they can't understand how long and the why and what God is doing. These past few weeks, uh, we've been going out with a couple of the guys and we've been doing street witnessing in Ventura and we come across a lot of people with a lot of stories. And well, I remember when I was talking to one guy and he was just really, really angry as a lot of them are. And, and he was in this stage. Why, how long, how could he? And he just talked about all the historical bondage that people have been in from slavery to the Holocaust to the Christian crusades. He's like, but if God is real, like how can he allow all that? Why would he approve of all that? If God is real, why did this, all this happen? And for him, that was a crisis in his faith that he walked away from the faith. It's because during that moment of despair and doubt, he did not ask and he did not trust and he did not seek the Lord. And we had an in-depth conversation about, hey, look, just because 
of a circumstance you don't understand, it doesn't change the way who God is. Just because you have a moment of despair, that doesn't change who God is, right? Because the Bible says that he's the same today, yesterday, and forever. And this is why I firmly believe that when Jesus prayed in John 17, three or four verses in, he says, I pray that they may know you, the one true God and your son whom you have sent. Because if you don't know God, you won't understand him. If you don't know his character, you will falter in this broken system that we live in. Many people, when they don't understand, they flee for the hills. But the, this book is telling us we don't need to flee from, we need to flee to, and we need to inquire of the Lord. Saints, he can handle Psalm 55, 22 for your note takers. It says to cast your cares upon the Lord for he cares for us and he will never let the righteous be forsaken. So here's the call. He's a loving parent. His arms are wide open. Come, I'll talk to you. I'll explain it to you. But some things, like Moses said, I can't show you everything. I'm gonna cover you behind the rock. Some things we just can't handle. So Pastor Kemi, show me other examples in scripture. This is one, I'm glad you asked. Psalm 10.1, oh Lord, why do you stand so far away? Why do you hide when I am in trouble? Questioning. Psalm 42 and 9, oh God, my rock, I cry, why have you forgotten me? Why must I wander around in grief oppressed by my enemies? Psalm 88, 14, 15, Lord, why do you cast off my soul? Why do you hide your face from me? I've been afflicted and ready to die from my youth. I suffer your terrors. I am distraught. So you see, he's not the only one. See, this deals with every cry of the human heart. Is these are real people. These are real situations. But we're dealing with a real, true, and living God. See, these psalmists, they're all in despair and doubt. They question God directly, and they pour their hearts out. To him. Moses, if you remember, right? First he trembled, he questioned, no, I can't go, I can't talk. Okay, I'll send your brother. Oh, but I can't do it. Okay, go, here we go, right? Then he goes and speaks to Pharaoh and then the situation actually gets worse and it doesn't get better. And then he goes, God, why did you come out here for me to fail basically, right? Even after he saw some of the little signs that he gave and a moment of despair, he doubted and he brought it directly to God. Now, did God smite him? No, he didn't smite him right? He said he was angry, but he had grace and he had mercy. But notice they take it directly to God. <sighs> Doubt and despair are parts of our human frailty. What we do when it shows how much we trust God. So there was a, a, a family member, um, their daughter was on drugs for 20 years. And they even told this mother your daughter will never be delivered off drugs. You might, don't even think about praying about it. Not even God can deliver her. And then 20 years later, she was delivered, now born again, serving the Lord in spirit and truth, filled with the Holy Ghost, right? See, you never allow a circumstance to dictate the character of God. This stuff happens all the time. But let's be real, 20 years? Can we be honest and say, you know what? Maybe it's not gonna happen. 20 years. That's a score. 20 years back and forth on drugs, back and forth on drugs, losing your kids, in and out of jail. 20 years. Not even, this is the verbatim, not even God can save your daughter, right? 
and then 20 years later. So the question would be, how long, oh Lord? Why so long? How long do I have to look? And I remember specifically with my grandma and my mom, all around the house, she'd have things praying. Pray for my brother Chris. Praying for my mom. One thing you can't escape is the prayers of your parents. If you guys are parents, continue to pray for your kids. If you're not parents yet, pray for your kids in advance. It's one thing you cannot escape is the prayers of your parents. How long, O oh Lord, is the question he asks. Saints, if that's you right now, you're enduring loneliness, hardships, doubt, despair in your family, your marriage, your kids. Like these are things that happen a lot with people and they can cause doubt and despair. Why? Because you're not in control. Those are the ones that are hard. You're not in control. And God is asking you to bring it to him. He cares for you infinitely. Psalm that I find great encouragement in, I think it's Psalm 37. King David says this, I've been young and now I'm old and I've never seen the righteous forsaken nor his seed begging for bread. I love that. David said, I've seen a lot and I've never seen God forsake his people. Never. So be encouraged by that if that's you. Verse three, here's what he says. Why? Now we go to the why. Why do you show me iniquity and cause me to see trouble? For plundering and violence are before me. Their strife, contentions arise. Why do you show me all this evil? Specifically, violence, strife, contentions of the land of Judah. The prophet asked two questions. How long and why? Those are great questions. From the words used to describe the evil indicates Judah's condition during King Jehoiakim's reign just prior to Babylon's captivity. It was really bad. There was no, they weren't honoring God. They were idol worshiping. They were offering their kids sacrifices. They were doing all types of abominable things. And if you guys remember back in Deuteronomy, it says, when I deliver you into the land, don't learn the way of the heathen. Don't multiply wise. They will cause you and be a snare and cause you to turn away from me. And they went so far from that that they were actually worse than the surrounding nations. One compromise leads to another. And so I always encourage people, do not compromise. Compromise breeds chaos and chaos opens the door for sin. And this is what the condition of Judah was at this point. But why would God allow us to see evil in others and ourselves? Here's some thoughts. One, to keep you humble. Humility. See, saints, humility is the cornerstone of our faith because God can't do anything with pride. Right? God can't do anything with pride because he's the only one who's going to get the glory. He said in the prophet Isaiah, my glory will I not give to another nor my praise to graven images. So if the graven images aren't getting them, you're not getting it either. And so first and foremost, we need to be humble. So God will show us evil to humble us and say, you know what, that, if it wasn't for the grace of God... Like, that'd be me too, right? So he allows us to see it to keep us humble. Secondly, to keep us submissive to him in the hour of trouble. You guys remember Peter, right? You guys was taking a nap in the garden in Gethsemane. It was Jesus' moment, his most perplexed moment in the garden, and they're napping. And he tells them, wake up. You couldn't, you couldn't sit up with me for one hour? Are you kidding me? He says, the flesh is weak, but the spirit is willing Watch and pray. So what? So you don't enter into temptation, right? 
So we're called to be submissive to him in the hour of trouble. Thirdly, to make us value salvation even more. I know I look back and I see evil and I say, Lord, thank you how far you brought me from, <laughs> right? I'm so glad, thank you, Lord, that I'm not who I used to be. I'm so glad that you delivered me out of that. Because when I see in others, my heart breaks, but I also remember that used to be me, right? That used to be me. So God will show us evil in others to humble us, keep us submissive, and to value salvation. You know, the Bible says that pretty much the superhero for the villain, First Peter, the just for the unjust to bring us to God, right? God gave us his all so we can be right with him for all eternity. So we need to value that. Now, some ways that God will show us iniquity in others to show us that, to show us what we might have been ourselves had we continued in that lifestyle. All the time I talk to my brother, you guys know, most of you know my brother's testimony. After my other brother was murdered, he went into drugs really, really bad um, and had a really, really dark space of about three and a half years. And he looks now by God's grace, fully redeemed, serving the Lord, filled with the Holy Ghost. Um, and he runs into some of the same people that he was doing drugs with. And he goes, I thank God that would have been me. I was that close. And then the, but God, who's rich in mercy, right? And where he loved me while I was dead and my trespasses and sins, he made me alive. And so when we see that, we get a but God moment. That would have been me, but God, right? That would have been further than that, but God. And so singing in others makes us grateful that that was not us, could have been us. To make us see the wickedness of sin that we might pass it by and hate it and not indulge in it. Saints, when we see evil in the land, it really should make us hate sin because of what it does to people and how it dishonors God. We should never laugh at it and clown it and make fun of it. It's a serious case, right? It was one sin that caused the fall of mankind. Sin destroys lives and relationships. It cripples the body of Christ. And it's what put Christ on the cross for you and my sins, right? It is not a joke. It is very, very serious. And lastly, I think to make us admire the grace of God when he saves sinners, right? That's why we celebrate when someone gets saved, we, we clap it up, let's go, yay, party, hooray, right? It's a party. We are clapping and rejoicing. The Bible says all the angels are rejoicing when one sinner repents, right? Because the grace of God is so powerful that it literally shifts and totally transforms the life of sinners. So it's very important. So saints, these questions arise from someone who is truly a believer. Non-believers could care less about this, right? Why, Lord, how long that comes from a heart of someone who is seeking the Lord? You can't just walk in an evil world and just pass it by. You can't just do that if you have the Holy Spirit. There's just no way. Because the Bible says that we have the mind of Christ. And Christ would be indeed grieved over it. So saints, there is a zeal for righteousness and it starts in our hearts. The prophet Habakkuk has a zeal for righteousness. He sees it right in front of him and it's grieving his heart. For you note takers, the word of God says this in Psalm 97.10. Those who love the Lord hate evil. Mm. Wait, I can't love the Lord and love evil? No, can't serve two masters, right? Can't serve two masters. Choose one, okay? One destroys you, one restores you. Choose one. Red pill, blue pill, right? 
One is significantly better than the other. So saints, I encourage you, may we be faithful stewards in our marriages, our homes, with our children, work, every area of our lives. May we fear the Lord and be zealous for good works. Amen? May that mark us. Saints, God can handle our questions and doubts. We will not always understand what he's doing, nor will we be able to always handle it. And sometimes God doesn't tell you because that's his mercy, because you would not be able to handle what he's telling you. And when I think about that, I think about, you know, the most traumatic thing that's happened to me in my life is, is to hear about my brother being murdered. And so it's almost like if he would have told me ahead of time, it wouldn't have made it any better. I just would have dreaded the moment, right? I wouldn't have been able to handle it. I would have been asking, well, what can I do? Can I come in his place? Can I fear? Can I step in front of him? Sometimes God just, you just have to trust, right? You just have to trust that God knows what he's doing. He's there before it already happens. And what I love about it, he promises to use it. It's never in vain. And so I've learned that it's my pain for someone else's gain. The Bible says that God comforts us not so that we'll be comfortable, but to make us comforters. We live in a broken world, right? And so there's a lot of broken people. And so God will use our pain to comfort others. Does that make sense? Amen. Verse four, as we says, therefore the law is powerless and justice never goes forth for wicked surrounds the righteous. Therefore perverse judgment proceeds. Remember, he can see all this, everything that's going on in the land. And he's basically saying, there's no justice here. It's continuing. But saints, we know that the word of God says, I think it's Psalm 89, 14, that righteousness and justice is the foundation of your throne. God loves justice. So we have to wonder, in your circumstance, when you find a moment contrary to the character of God, we are wrong, not him. We never, ever view a circumstance or view God in the light of our circumstance or in the light of our experience, right? Because we will be wrong. That's why the Bible says, let God be true and every man a liar. We do not have infinite understanding. So Habakkuk, he says, the wicked in charge ignore the law of God, rendering it ineffective. See, when those who are in authority ignore the law of God, wickedness is naturally the result, right? Because see, the law of God, Paul says, is righteous, it's holy, it's just, and it's true. It actually reveals God's character. The law of God reveals the character of God, right? And so when there's a law that people ignore, like our government, they ignore the law and they put together these evil, wicked policies that go against us being made in the image of God, then nothing but wickedness and chaos comes forth, right? And that's why they call good evil and evil good. Honestly, is it good or is it evil for men to be in women's clothes and boys to be in girls' clothes? Is it good or is it evil? It's evil, right? Is it evil to call boy a girl and a girl a boy? It's evil. It's evil. Because in the Bible, it's clear, right? God is not the author of confusion. Is it good or is it evil to legislate pedophilia? It's not a crime. It's okay. Make a 10-year gap. That's evil, saints. That's not right. That is completely evil. Habakkuk witnessed no justice for evil, the wicked prevailing over the righteous. The nation was absolutely paralyzed and numb to God's law. Like the prophet said, Isaiah 
5 and 20. They're calling good evil and evil good. Is it good or is it evil to support human life in the womb only but abandon them once they're born? That's evil. That's evil. See, saints, God's agenda is whole life agenda from the womb to the tomb. God cares about every individual from conception to departure. And it's evil for us to only take care of them till they're born and then have nothing to do with them afterwards. But that's what's happening. You have two extremes, but God calls us to love justice, right? And so saints, I encourage you guys, look, there are generational curses and they are real. And we're seeing that. The, the biggest pandemic or epidemic now is fatherless homes. And so what's happening is they show the study, they say 93% of a family will follow Christ if the father comes to Christ first. So there's this, this influence of a godly man in a home. Now, by God's grace, I was raised in a fatherless home. I could have easily been one of those statistics. And I was actually on my way to that. But God, right, who's rich in mercy. And so saints, if it's not transformed, it will be transferred. Okay, if you're not transformed, then you're simply going to transfer all the wicked, evil habits that were in your life, in your family. But the good news is it can start today, right? You can lay it at the altar today. Lord, give me full transformation. Lord, deliver me from this so I don't transfer it to my family and all my other relationships, right? Because the Bible says, 2 Corinthians 5, 17, that all who are in Christ are new creations. The old has passed away and the new has come. So Habakkuk is looking at this and says evil is prevailing. There's no law in the land. Saints, there's nothing new under the sun. Judgment is coming. It's coming. And this is currently our country. But saints, I would say this, the judgment doesn't have to come to you if you don't know Jesus. I would like to say you can have your judgment day today, right? You can get right with God today. Today can be the day of salvation. If you don't know him, he calls us to repent. Repent means to turn from evil and trust in Christ. That's repentance in faith. And in that way, Jesus will pay the fine for you. And he has on the cross of Calvary. Saints, God has a holy wrath over evil because he's righteous and holy. And he had to put that wrath somewhere. And so either it was going to go on you and we couldn't handle it, right? Or it was going to go on his son. And so God poured out his full wrath for sin from the beginning of sin all the way to the end of the last sinner. He poured all his holy wrath on Jesus, the just for the unjust. Isaiah 50, what, 53 says, right, that he made his soul an offering for sin, that it pleased the Lord to bruise him, that the chastisement that was for our peace was put on him and by his stripes we are healed. That's what happened at the cross of Calvary. He was unrecognizable, beaten to a bloody pulp for yours and my sin so that we wouldn't have to. Saints, this is real. This is serious. See, the cross has to be personal to you before it can be powerful in your life. And so Habakkuk is looking at the evil and he can't believe it because he loves the Lord. We need men and women today that love mercy, do justice, 
and walk humbly before our God. We don't need you to flee for the hills. We need you to stand firm in what God called you to do. We need, like Amos said in 524, to let justice run down like a water and righteousness like a mighty stream. It's been said that all that is necessary for evil to triumph is for people to sit around and do nothing. It's not me. I'm not doing it. Well, he who's not for me is against me, right? If you're not doing anything, you're part of the problem. If you're not standing firm and shining your light, we don't light it to hide it under a bushel, right? I'm gonna let it shine. Hopefully you remember that song. It's also in scripture, right? If you're not doing that, then you're part of the problem, right? We need all of us to stand forth and walk in the power of the Holy Spirit. So Habakkuk says, how can God sit back and allow this? It's an honest question. How can God sit back and allow this? And so this question poses a stumbling block for Habakkuk. He knows God, but he's not seeing the character of God and allowing all this evil. And so I want to point you guys to a psalm. Psalm 73 writes this. You can, take, you can write it down in your notes if, you, if you're a note taker. It's very important. So the psalmist in 73 says this, but as for me, my feet came close to stumbling. My steps had almost slipped for I was envious of the arrogant as I saw the prosperity of the wicked. And then verse 16 and 17 in that same Psalm, he says, so when I thought of understanding this, it was troublesome in my sight until I entered the sanctuary of God and I perceive their end. See, answers come when we come in the presence of God. When we stand before him and we ask with a humble and contrite heart, Lord, how does this happen? Then we can understand that there's no sin that's unpaid. There's no evil that is not right. There's no stone unturned. As Paul said in Galatians, God is not mocked. What a man sows, he shall reap. Justice is going to come. But saints, I want to encourage you guys to bring everything to the presence of God Almighty to gain understanding. The Bible tells us secret things belong to the Lord, but the things that are revealed belong to us. So saints, I encourage you guys. You're not going to understand everything about God. And I hope this analogy sticks with you. You cannot fit the ocean in the cracks of a seashell, but you can get little bits and pieces to give you some peace and serenity while you're trusting God, right? But you don't get that unless you come into the presence of God. You don't go to man. You don't start talking to man before you, don't talking to man about God before you come to God about what you believe about God. Amen? You must bring it directly to God. So review point number one. When I don't understand what God is doing, humbly bring all your questions, doubts, worries, and concerns to the Lord. Why? Because he can handle it. And even though we may not always understand it, nor can handle it, we know that his presence brings peace, right? And we're finite and we're trying to understand infinite. So sometimes it's just not going to work, right? Point number two, verse five says, know that God is always working things together for our good. Verse five says this, this is actually God replying now. We get to see God reply. He says, look among the nations and watch. Be utterly astounded. For I will work a work in your days, which you would not believe, though it were told to you. For I indeed am raising up the Chaldeans, or the Babylonians, a bitter and hasty nation, which marches 
through the breadth of the earth to possess dwelling places that are not theirs. They are terrible and dreadful. Their judgment and their dignity proceed from themselves. Their horses also are swifter than leopards and more fierce than evening wolves. Their chargers charge ahead. Their cavalry comes from afar. They fly as the eagle that hastens to eat. See, God's answer is this. So Pablo asked the question, how? What are you doing? What's going on? And God says flat out, his answer is shocking. He says, I'm actually going to judge this. I really am. I'm going to raise up this evil, wicked, and perverse nation, aka the Chaldeans or the Babylonians. See, God always deals with evil, but it's not always in the way that we would expect or the way that we want. And so sometimes we, things happen to us, right, in our lives, and people do things to us, and we want to judge them the way we want to judge it, right? I want it done that way or else it's not considered justice. Remember, you have a, a very tainted view of reality because of sin, right? And we can't see things the way God does, and that's why you have to pray for wisdom. Okay, Lord, there's a reason why Jesus commanded us to pray for our enemies, bless those who curse you, right? Pray for those who despitefully use you and persecute you so you may be children of the Most High who is kind to the just and the unjust, right? Who causes the rain to fall on the good and the evil because we don't have the capacity to see things the way that they are, right? So I want to encourage you guys, walk by the Spirit, not by the flesh, right? If Habakkuk had his way, he would have done it differently. And so the, God's answer is actually shocking, God tells him, verse five, look, watch, and be astonished. What this tells us is that God was already at work. So during that time, the Chaldeans were already being raised up. They swept through the Egyptians, who actually swept through the Assyrians, who were weakened by Judah, because King, King Sennacherib got wiped out, right? And so the Babylonians were already being raised up. He didn't know that. And that happens to us all the time. We're like, God, what's going to happen? And he's like, I'm already working. Like, just be still, right? Trust me. I'm going to take care of all evil that's done to you. Let me do the vengeance part, right? I know we want to take care of it ourselves because we think we know better than God, right? But no, God, you don't know. I can handle it. No, you can't. You can't. That's why the Bible says vengeance is mine, says the Lord. But even more heartbreaking saints is this is the people of God that he's having to judge, this is the household of God. The scripture says, behold, judgment begins at the house of God. These are God's people. He's bringing swift discipline to his people. And if you fast forward, they end up in Babylon for 70 years. Jerusalem's destroyed. The temple's destroyed completely. They wipe out all the good of the land. Daniel, Ezekiel, right? They wipe them out. They go. Jeremiah, they go, they go end up in Babylon, Right? That was the discipline that was coming. Whom the Lord loves, he disciplines. Habakkuk's complaint is that God wasn't doing anything, that God was silent just because he didn't see him moving, right? Just because you guys don't see God, feel God, doesn't mean God is not God. Just because you don't see him, just because you don't understand him, doesn't change the reality of who he is. In other places of scripture, God actually rebukes his people for not, for failing to discern what he was doing. Isaiah 5, 12 says this, they do not regard the work of the Lord nor consider 
the operation of his hands. Paul actually quotes this verse of Habakkuk, Habakkuk in Acts 13, 41, warning his listeners of the dangers of ignoring what God is doing in their midst, except this time through Jesus. Saints, when God shows us what he's doing, we're called to act accordingly, right? God's gonna judge this nation. So we should be proclaiming the good news even more so, so that people get saved. Jude talks about pulling people from the fire, right? He talks about getting as many as you can because we believe that if they're not saved, they're gonna be eternally separated from God. And we know that that's not God's will. But God wants to use each and every one of us to bring people to salvation. The question is, will you be faithful? Saints, may we be watchful of what the Lord is doing. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. We must remember that God is long-suffering, but won't suffer too long. We have to remember that. Verse 6, he tells Habakkuk, the Chaldeans, the Babylonians, I am raising up. See, God makes it clear that he's sovereign. He's the almighty. He's powerful. He's in control. And he's on his throne. The psalmist said in 115.3, our God is in the heavens. He does whatever he pleases. And some of us have a problem with that because we want to be our own God. We want to rule and reign in our own lives. And so your throne is going to be given up. You can give it up easily or it can get taken from you because every knee is going to bow and every tongue is going to confess that Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father, right? And that is a daily thing, right? That's daily for us. And it's not easy. It's hard. Saints, can I encourage you guys? When God seems distant, far away from the scene, may we pray, Lord God, open up our eyes that we may see what you're doing. You think of 2 Kings, right? When he couldn't see the army. And then I think it's Elisha. I think he prays, Lord, open up his eyes so he may see. And then he sees and there's all these armies and chariots and he realizes he's really surrounded, right? Surrounded. We need to pray that God gives us the eyes to see what he's doing so we can go on the way and walk in it. That word indicates, when he says, I'm going to do a work, it indicates a powerful act of God. He was raising up the Babylonians to judge his people. Habakkuk was not expecting that. Not at all. And so this is a great reminder to us that God is just. This is why we're called to allow God to bring the vengeance. When we're mistreated, talked about, taken advantage of, our job is to pray. It's God's job to avenge. And I know it's hard. There's some of us in here right now that have bitterness towards people in our lives. We have not given vengeance to the Lord. We're actually thinking and meditating on how we're going to avenge. Oh, I'm just going to ignore them. I'm just not going to talk to them right? You know, the Bible talks about if you come to the altar and you got something against your brother or sister, I don't want the sacrifice, right? It's offered with a little bit of leaven. Lay it at the altar, go back and reconcile with your brother and your sister, and then come back, right? Because the gospel, Paul says the ministry of reconciliation, right? Is that the gospel reconciles us. Saints, be assured God does not ignore the true nature of those who he uses as his agents for judgment. Here's what he says. 
He basically gives us a portrait of the Babylonians. Seven, he says they're terrible and dreadful. Their judgment and their dignity proceed from themselves. They're described as people who are agile, swift, arrogant, and as greedy as vultures. They're compared to the top predators in the animal world. They're wicked, vile, yet a powerful nation in the world's eyes. Yet God is going to use them to bring discipline? That doesn't make sense, right? Why would he use a nation more wicked than they to judge them? That's when you got to go back to Isaiah 55. His ways are not our ways. His thoughts are higher than ours. I don't know, right? I do not know. So God will use the foolish things in the world to confound the wise. Just when you think you got God figured out, you are lost. <laughs> you are lost. I thought he had it. Nope. Nice try. Thanks for playing, right? It's not happening. That's why I look at God's commands. They're not a killjoy. But he's given us his commands to keep us from the things that will kill our joy. And so God gives us kingdom parameters so we can have kingdom protection. Okay? So when God tells us that sex and marriage, that's what it's for. Sex is good. It's great but its parameter is marriage, right? And when you have it outside of its parameter, damage and destruction ensues every time, right? Electricity is awesome. You guys like the lights? You can hear my voice, right? But a lightning bolt will kill you, right? The parameters of electricity is the wires that it has, right? Outside of the parameters, outside of God's protection. Whom the Lord loves, he disciplines. Saints, our sin will always find us out. It'll always find us out. You can't hide it from God. The Bible says everything is naked before him. The word of God discovers our condition. There's no hiding from the Lord. So this nation, Judah at that time, Benjamin and Judah, couldn't hide their sin, and the Babylonians couldn't either. Judgment is coming on both of them, but God kills two birds with one stone because that's our God, Right? In verses 9 and 11, it says, they all come for violence. Their faces are set like the east wind. They, they're cap, they gather captives like sand. They scoff at kings and princes are scorned by them. They deride every stronghold for they heap up earthen mounds and seize it. Then his mind changes and he transgresses. He commits offense, ascribing power to his God. So the nation of people, the, this nation of people, who basically worship themselves are being used by God to judge a nation who was supposed to worship God. That's what God's doing. And that's why Habakkuk says, he tells Habakkuk, even if I tell you, you're not going to believe what I'm about to do. Because it's not going to make any sense to your little finite pea brain, seashell mind. It's not going to make sense, right? But I'm going to have to call, call you to trust me. When he says violence, if you guys remember, they slaughtered King Nebuchadnezzar slaughtered the sons of Zedekiah before his eyes. And then they plucked out his eyes so that would be the last thing he saw. And they led him into captivity in the Babylon. This is, what, this is what God is talking about. This is an evil, wicked, vile, corrupt nation. So saints, we have a choice. We can heed the word of God or deal with swift discipline. We can honor the Lord in our lives or deal with the devastated consequences of sin. We need the wisdom of God. Of the gospel, it's actually been said that the wisdom of God 
has ordained a way for the love of God to deliver us from the wrath of God without compromising the justice of God. God is just, but he's also loving. And so in his infinite wisdom, he's ordained a way to deliver us from his wrath without compromising his justice. So you have a choice. You can go through that deliverance or you can deal with his wrath. And so he tells Habakkuk, I'm gonna send and raise up this wicked nation, the Babylonians, and they're gonna deal with Judah and then I'm gonna deal with them. And I'm gonna rid the land of all that. God is faithful, saints. I wanna be on the side of his grace, not on the side of his discipline. Amen? And so summary of point number two, know that God is always working things together for our good. He'll use the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. He's gonna discipline those who he loves. And there's actually no escaping the judgment of God. Either you pay for it or Jesus does. Make your decision, right? So verses 12, a third point. Fill your doubts with the unchanging character of God and his promises. Verse 12 says this, saints. Are you not, this is Habakkuk's response now. Remember, we're getting to see this dialogue. Verse 12 says, are you not from everlasting, O Lord, my God, my holy one? We shall not die. O Lord, you have appointed them for judgment. O rock, you have marked them for correction. You are of purer eyes than to behold evil and cannot look on wickedness. Why do you look on those who deal treacherously and hold your tongue when the wicked devours a person more righteous than he? Why do you make men like fish of the sea, like creeping things that have no ruler over them? That was verse 14. So Habakkuk starts his responding to God with proclaiming the character of God. And I have learned God is true to his promises. So I can go to God and say, God, aren't you the true and living God? Aren't you the righteous and holy God? Aren't you the God from everlasting to everlasting? Aren't you the God that does not change? I can go and I can just recount God's character when I don't understand. So Habakkuk's response starts with, aren't you the everlasting God? Aren't you the God that is holy and true that can't look upon evil? He says, you are my God. We shall not die, but live. We shall not die because of who you are and your promises. So Habakkuk, this is a personal declaration. I know who you are personally, and I also know your promises. Well, how does he know they will not die? Because the promises says that through this tribe of Judah, the seed was going to come the Messiah. So we know Judah can't be decimated. We know that the tribe of Israel cannot be destroyed because the promises of God is that the Messiah is going to come from that bloodline. So Habakkuk is saying, I know who you are and I know what you have promised. I have a question for you guys. Is the cross personal to you? Do you only know God corporately, meaning through the church institution and establishment? Do you only relate to God through church? Meaning, some of you guys ain't gonna like me for this, you only pick this up when you come to church. Or if you go to Christian school, you only pick it up in Bible class or in Sunday school or youth group or men's study or women's study, right? And then when you get home, it goes back on the shelf. That may be an indicator that you don't know him personally. You just have a corporate relationship with him. See, Habakkuk knows God personally right? Because he's quoting his character and he's calling on his promises. 
And so if you don't know the character of God, you sure won't know the promises of God. And so he recounts on his promises. So until it's personal, it won't be powerful. See, Paul says in Romans 1.16, says, I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God unto salvation to all who believe. My personal opinion, I believe the apostle Paul interpreted John 3.16 like this. Instead of saying God so loved the world, he said God so loved me. And in Galatians 2, he says that I no longer live, Christ lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. It's personal. It's personal. And that's why the cross had such a transforming effect in Paul's life. And I pray and hope that that effect is on you too. Do you meditate on God's promises? Can you name them off the top of your head? God will never leave you nor forsake you. God loves each of us as if there's only one of us. God's love never fails. If God be for you, who can be against you? You're more than conquerors through Christ who loved you. No weapon formed against you shall prosper. Every tongue that rises up in judgment thou shalt condemn. You're a citizen of heaven. You have the Holy Spirit. The same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead is living inside each and every one of us. We are the head and not the tail. We're on top and not beneath. Greater is he who is in me than he who is inside the world. Amen? And I could keep going. You say, well, how do you know so much? Because I've been through a lot of battles. Because I had to rely on the promises of God to get where I'm at now. And if you can't stand on those promises, Satan will bulldoze you to the ground. And you will live in doubt and despair, and you will not experience the peace that surpasses all human understanding. You must know who God is. You must meditate on his promises. Amen? Word. Verse 12, he continues to proclaim what God has said. You have marked them for correction and appointed them for judgment. And then he talks about how pure God's eyes are, that they can't behold evil. He says, you're so holy, there's no way you can look upon this. And so some would say, well, God can't look upon evil. That's why he turned his face from Christ. And, and some people, you know, people I respect believe that God forsook Jesus on the cross. And, and that may be true. I just, personally, I don't see that just because the God has inseparable, right? I believe he was quoting Psalm 22. And I believe that when he says, your eyes are more pure, you can't look on evil. It means he can't condone it right? He can't condone evil and he won't promote it either. And he will not overlook it, right? So his eyes are pure. He will not condone it and he will not overlook it. Habakkuk's amazement is how could this holy covenant keeping God use a more wicked nation to judge Judah? Judah was indeed guilty. God will deal with Babylon in the future. With God's law, saints, every mouth will be stopped and every person will be guilty before God. And he goes on recounting how God, his holiness and everything. He says, why do you make fish like men? Verse 14, why do you make men like fish of the sea, like creeping things that have no ruler over them? They take up all of them with the hook. They catch them in their net and gather them in a dragnet. Therefore, they rejoice and are glad. Therefore, they sacrifice to their net 
and burn incense in their dragnet because by them their snare is sumptuous and their food plentiful. 17, shall they therefore empty their net and continue to slay nations without pity? And so the nation of Judah was supposed to be a light to the rest of the world, but instead they learned the way of the heathen and did it better than they did, sadly. And that is the peril of compromise, and that is the peril of ungodly fellowship. He says, you make men like fish of the sea. And there's this analogy of the fishermen. The men were like fishes whom the fishermen collected in his net, then paid divine honors to the net by which he has been so enriched. And this comparison, the world was the sea, the nation was the fishes, Nebuchadnezzar was the fishermen, the net was the military might of the Babylonian army. And so ultimately, Nebuchadnezzar is God's fisherman, and he used him to catch the nation of Judah and lead them into Babylon. And as you guys know, they were there 70 years, and God was true to his promises. He delivered them back into the land, and then he used uh, Cyrus to help them build back up the temple. God is indeed faithful. Almost done. Now going to chapter 2, verse 1. Review point number three. Fill your doubts with the unchanging character of God and his promises. So Habakkuk, in his doubt of what God has said, he simply just recounted the promise of God. We will live and not die, and you are holy, righteous, and true. So I know, I doubt how you're going to do this. I don't like it, but I'm just going to walk on your promises and who you are. He filled in the gaps with who God is and what God has promised. Last point, chapter 2, verse 1. Faithfully trust and wait on the Lord. Here's what he says. So after he said all this to God, remember this is the dialogue. We're sitting back, we got our popcorn, we got our feet kicked up. We're listening to this dialogue between Habakkuk the prophet and almighty God. And it's pretty juicy, right? But we're learning a lot of things and we can relate to this because in our lives, there's a lot of times when we don't understand what God is doing. We simply don't. We ask our questions. For me, I know people that got shot five, six times, they're still here. My brother's gone. How, do I, how can I reconcile that, right? I know many people that have died from cancer. My grandma had cancer, but she's still alive, right? Those questions are real. So-and-so died from an overdose, but this person keeps doing drugs and still alive. Why? My child died in the womb. You have six, seven, eight, nine kids. Why? Why, oh God, when you don't understand we can glean from this. So here's what he says. Verse one, chapter two, last point. I will stand my watch and set myself on the rampart and watch to see what he will say to me and what I will answer when I am corrected. Here's what Habakkuk is saying. After he raised these two important questions and he asked with the proper attitude, he says, I'm gonna watch. And what he's saying is I'm gonna basically be on the wall like a, like a watchman and I'm going to anticipate and wait to hear God's answer. I'm going to wait. I'm going to trust on this wall on what God is going to respond. So he thinks of himself as a lookout posted on a city wall, watching and waiting to see how God's going to reply to his doubts. I know God's going to reply. I anticipate he's going to reply. And saints, this is an example to all of us. He demonstrates both faith and hope that God is going 
to answer. And he did it in humility. He didn't demand God, you better answer me or else. He simply recounted to God, like, I know who you are. I know what your promises are. I don't understand, but every gap that I take, I'm going to fill it in with the solid root of your word and who you are. He says, I'm going to be still and wait on the Lord and be corrected if need be. And so Psalm 27, I'll end with this. Psalm 27, 14 says this, wait on the Lord, be of good cheer and he shall strengthen your heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord. And so Habakkuk ends with faithfully trusting and waiting on the Lord. And so saints, when we don't understand exactly what God is doing, we can go back to Habakkuk chapter one and we can glean that we can humbly bring our questions We can know that God is always working. We can fill in the doubts with his promises and his character. And then we can faithfully trust and wait for God to reveal to us what he's doing. And worship team, come on up. As you guys come on up, if there's anyone here, I know it's Thursday and most of you guys are regulars, right? But there's anyone in here who has not given their life to Jesus. The Bible says today is the day of salvation. And the Bible says that whosoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And so he calls us to repentance and faith. Repentance is saying, Lord, I'm a sinner. I'm doomed. I cannot save myself. Where's the savior? And Jesus says, come to me. All of you are heavy laden and weary and I will give you rest. So if there's anyone in here who wants to confess Christ as Lord and surrender their lives, I want to give you an opportunity to do so now. Anybody in here who has not done that? Anybody, I want to pray for you. Let's pray. Praise the Lord. Father in heaven, Lord, we are so thankful that you can handle our problems, our doubts, our worries, and our concerns. And we thank you for your word and this, this book of Habakkuk, Lord, that we, we can come to you, Lord, with these concerns and doubts, and you're not going to smite us. You're not going to strike us down. We can humbly come before you, Lord, and we can know that you are who you say you are. And we do thank you most of all, Lord, for your forgiveness that is given to us through the cross. That as far as the east is from the west, so far have you removed our transgressions from us. We love you, Lord. We worship you. We pray we'll be more like you. And we would not hide our light under a bushel, but we would let it shine. May we worship you in spirit and in truth. In Jesus' name we pray. And the saints said, amen. Let's worship.